BAM Radio Network. If you just keep bringing a new agenda every two to three years, you will be mediocre, period, full stop. Your report card as a leader does not come in until your successor does better than you. As a school superintendent, if you have really taken great discipline to make sure that you have the right people in the key seats, which means that you have the right principles in the right principal seat, then you leave behind a very, very strong system, even if the leadership changes. Hello, I'm Dan Dominich. Welcome to WAASA Radio. Jim, welcome. Delighted to have you here on AASA Radio. Now, let's get right to it. Over time, you have asked a lot of very probing questions about how companies and organizations prosper, or in some cases, they don't. Now, your new book, Great by Choice, examines why some companies thrive in uncertainty, even chaos, and others don't. This is an exceedingly important question for school leaders across the country today. So, with the huge economic shortfalls and increasing demands for transparency and increased test scores. The ground under many school districts is feeling pretty shaky. So tell us some of the things you found out about the companies who thrive in troubled times. Can this wisdom help schools too? Well, my co-author, Morton Hansen, and I really began wrestling with this question in 2002 as really a human question, a question facing all kinds of organizations. And Morton and I believe that we are entering an era of chronic and permanent instability, uncertainty, episodes of chaos, violent disruption, rapid change, globalization, and big, fast-moving forces that we can neither predict nor control. And this is not a business reality. This is just everybody's reality. So we happen to use business as the lens by which we do our analysis, but the lessons are universal. Uh, what we found in our research is that those who lead very well in these kinds of environments exemplify three very distinctive behaviors. They have what we call fanatic discipline, empirical creativity, and productive paranoia. And when they marry those three behaviors together and how they lead, they navigate uh, episodes of uncertainty and chaos very well. Well, you know, educators have already looked uh, to your other books, particularly uh, Good to Great, to find clues about how we can be running our schools better. And you've actually done some research on how your findings in the corporate sector can be adapted to the school environment. What, what can you teach us? Well, one of the chapters in the book that we uh, put forth is a thing called the 20-mile march. And in that chapter, I actually refer to a research study uh, that was done at the Center for the Future of Arizona uh, looking at schools that have overperformed relative to other schools with poor Latino populations that became known as the Beat the Odds study. And one of the things that we found uh, is that whenever you want to come at any environment of performance, you want to have a 20-mile march. And this 20-mile march means that you, know, you get up every single day. If you were walking across the United States, you would not try to do 50 miles one day and zero the next and modulate your progress based upon the weather or the conditions. You get up every single day and you march 20 miles. And you don't let those conditions, you don't let bad weather or good weather basically prevent you from marching your 20 miles. And what we found when we looked inside the Beat the Odds study as well, the research done on schools, is that the principals who led these schools had a 20-mile march philosophy. Look, there's going to be good conditions and bad conditions and good funding and bad funding and large class size and small class size and, and difficult student populations and not difficult student populations, but we still have to 20-mile march on student achievement, and we hold ourselves accountable for that no matter what 
the weather conditions might be. So ba- basically, we're talking here about uh, you know a, a certain amount of consistency in terms of your approach. You're you're you don't want to slack off one day and try to conquer the world the other, but rather you you persist and you continue on your goal. In fact, though, one of the things that we found in our research is that the signature of mediocrity is not an unwillingness to change. Although, if indeed you refuse to change, you will eventually fall behind. But the real signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. And when you look inside the Beat the Odds schools, for example, we found that they didn't keep changing every two years to try to find another program, and then two years later, another program, and then another two years later, another silver bullet, and then another two years later, yet another silver bullet program. No, they never believed that there was a single perfect program. Rather, they picked a good program and then marched with fanatic, consistent, relentless discipline to improve performance, and then over time, through the consistency, they produced great results. Well, you know, Jim, that leads to another uh, thought here, that you, you know that the average tenure of the American superintendent tends to be about three and a half years. So many districts, particularly the districts that are uh, most in need of improvement, have sort of a revolving door in leadership with people that are there one year, two years, three years, and every time a new person comes in, it's with a new agenda. That kind of flies against uh, the face of what you just mentioned in terms of consistency. If you just keep bringing a new agenda every two to three years, you will be mediocre, period, full stop. Now, you talk about the level five leader. Who is that, and what makes a level five leader, and how does one become one? Well, one of the other things that we found really separates the great companies and the great organizations that we've studied is that they have leaders who, the real thing that separates them is not their personality. I mean, leadership comes in lots of packages. Sometimes they're charismatic, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they have a a larger-than-life personality. Sometimes they're very shy and reserved. Uh, Sometimes they are magnetic, and sometimes they're just weird. That's just personality. Personality is not the same as leadership. Uh, The real key variable, the X factor of the level five leader is not their personality or their genius or their vision, but their humility. And that is really the key thing that we found all the way back in Good to Great. But it is humility defined in a very special way. It is humility defined as channeling your ego and your ambition and your drive and your creativity into something that is bigger than you, more important than you. So a true level five leader would say, it is not about me, it is about the kids. It is not about me, it is about the school. It is not about me, it is about how we produce young people who are able to go into the world and contribute and lead. And I am in service to that end goal. I am not in service to myself. That's also a, a great point that, uh, as I think of the plight of the uh, the superintendent that's uh, so immersed in in political issues and uh, the job goes well beyond just the managing and administering of a, of a school district. Those superintendents, uh, in essence, that have to stick to what's right and what's best for kids when that flies against the local politics are having a problem. What, what could they do? Well, one of the things that we wrote about in a, a monograph called Good to Great in the Social Sectors, which is where we took uh, some of the Good to Great ideas and applied them into the arena of non-business entities, you know, we found that there's two types of level five leaders. There's what I would describe as the executive level five, which is what you find in business corporations, where you have enough concentrated power that you yourself can make everything happen. Uh, so Sam Walton could decide if Walmart wanted to go 
east, he could take it east. If he wanted it to go west, it would go west because Sam had the concentrated power to do so. But when you're a school superintendent or a university president or you're a city manager or you're in some social sector leadership, there you have to be what I would describe as a legislative level five leader. And what a legislative level five leader is one who is operating in a power situation where you do not have all the concentrated power yourself. In fact, you may have only a small slice of the power and others have enough power to stop things if they want to. And so the key with the legislative leadership is to basically have the capacity to assemble the conditions for the right decisions to happen and to understand that leadership and power are different entities. Just because I have power doesn't mean I'm leading. True leadership exists only if people follow when they have the freedom to not follow. So what that means is that the really outstanding leaders in a complex, diffuse power environment uh, are the ones who, A, it truly is about the school and the kids and the end result, and they will stand by that even if they themselves fall as a result of it. But the reason that that works is because most people can really see if somebody is really in it first and foremost for the kids. Uh, The second is they're very politically savvy so that they can assemble the points of power required to get the right things done on behalf of the kids. I would uh, recommend that people really study great senators more than they study great presidents. Now, I uh, I understand that you are an uh, avid uh, rock climber. Is that right? I am a very avid rock climber. I've been a rock climber since I was 13, and I'm now 53. And somehow I have survived all of my mistakes. (laughs) Well, surely you learned some survival lessons on the side of a cliff that could be useful in running an organization. Can you share any? Sure. So when we go back to the recent work where we were really looking at why some companies thrive in the face of uncertainty and forces out of your control, and when Morton and I identified these three behaviors in Great by Choice, we have the fanatic discipline, the empirical creativity, and the productive paranoia. Uh, One of the things you learn as a climber uh, is that you always have to have what I would describe as productive paranoia. And productive paranoia means you always are afraid of what are the really big things that could kill you? What are the really big things that could end the game? Because the only mistakes you can learn from are the ones that you survive. So you always have to know where the line is that if you crossed over it, you left yourself politically exposed or you left yourself in a position where you'd run out of cash or you know the kinds of mistakes you could make that could really terminate the quest that you're on, that you'd never have a chance to come back and learn from that mistake. Those who exercise productive paranoia are always, always worried about that and keeping giving themselves big margins of safety. The other thing that's very interesting about that, though, is that in climbing, if you're going to bet your life on something, if you're going to bet your trajectory of what you're leading on something, you want to make sure that it's empirically validated, not just a shot out in the dark. And that's the empirical creativity piece. Jim, you are, you're aware of the uh, reform uh, uh, movement that's going on currently regarding public education. Uh, what can you tell us about that? The, the big message that we would convey is that every industry has forces that can hit it from outside its control. I mean, in the new book, we look at how companies became great even in the airline business where you were facing uh, deregulation and interest rate spikes and fuel shocks and uh, all sorts of really terrible things that could hit the airline industry. Or you look at something like the semiconductor industry that went through great brutal global competition and industry meltdowns. And if you look at these kinds of industries, what you realize is they're facing a lot of big things that are out of their control. And those who led in those environments 
said, yes, I, but I can't do anything about that. I can't change the weather. I can't make it be what I want it to be. The weather's going to be what it's going to be. So what I have to do is to put in place the disciplines here that keep us on our march, no matter what changes in our environment. And I need to put things in place here that we know are empirically validated will work no matter what changes hit us from afar. And I need to make sure that we are always uh, giving ourselves some contingencies in case things turn out the way that we don't want so that we can continue our march. And so our big lesson from this work is that almost everyone faces massive, big forces and uncertainties out of their control. But the leaders who do really well say that's never an excuse. That's never an acceptable excuse for failing to deliver great results. It is our job to figure out, no matter how reform unfolds, to deliver great results for our constituents, for our kids, for our members, whoever it happens to be. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us, and congratulations on the publication of Great by Choice. No question is the right book for our time. Thank you so much, Jim. You're very welcome. It's a great pleasure, and I have great passion for education in this country. It's one of the central cornerstones to making sure that this country remains uh, number one in the world. Excellent. You've been listening to WAASA Radio. I'm Dan Dominich. Thank you for listening. This program is produced by Jack Street Media as part of the Affiliate Nanocasting Network. Thanks for listening.